Let's look at our Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. Isaiah, chapter 53. It seems as if we cannot stay away from this passage of Scripture very long. We keep coming back to it over and over. I want to read the entirety of the chapter, beginning in verse 1. As we read, notice in particular verse 11, that will be our text for this afternoon. Verse 1, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground, he hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people was he stricken. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days. The pleasure of the Lord <coughs> excuse me, shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Oftentimes in the scripture, 
when the sufferings and the death of Jesus Christ are mentioned, they are associated also with his exaltation and glory. I don't know if you've noticed that or not, but that happens repeatedly in the scripture. I'm going to read just a few verses to point that out. In Luke chapter 24, Luke, and in chapter 24, and here I'll read verse 26. Luke 24, verse 26. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Also, let's read Romans chapter 8. Romans, and in chapter 8, and here I'll read verse 34. Romans 8 and in verse 34. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. I'm going to go from there to the book of Philippians in chapter 2. The book of Philippians, and in chapter 2, and here I'll read verse 8 and verse 9. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name. One more place I'll read, and that's in 1 Peter and in chapter 1. In 1 Peter and in chapter 1, verse 11. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. These are just a few examples of where in the Scripture the suffering and the death of Christ, when it is mentioned, there is also the mention of Him being exalted and in glory. But when we come back to our reading in Isaiah chapter 53, in our text verse, verse 11, this is not the case so much here. Here we have the benefits and the blessings which come to God's people through the sufferings of Jesus Christ. Uh, read verse 11 once again of Isaiah 53. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. In looking at this verse, I want us to, first of all, notice who it is that is being spoken of. Notice in verse 11, and this is God the Father speaking in verse 11. And God the Father refers to him as my righteous servant. 
That's how God the Father referred to Jesus Christ. In our message this morning, we saw Jesus as a servant among men. How he came and he came into this world to minister, not to be served, but rather to serve. Here in our text, he is referred to by the Father as my righteous servant. You'll remember if you want to look back to chapter 42 and in verse 1, there God said, Behold my servant. In our text, he's referred to as my righteous servant. Note also Isaiah chapter 51. And, and here I'll, I'll read verse 13. Isaiah chapter 51 and in verse 13. And forgettest the Lord thy maker that hath stretched forth the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth and hath feared continually every day because of the fury of the oppressors as if he were ready to destroy and where is the, the fury thereof. And you read on down in verse, 50, verse 15. But I am the Lord thy God that divided the sea, whose ways roar, the Lord of hosts is my name. I have put my words in thy mouth, I have covered thee in the shadow of my hand. And he is speaking here as God sovereign over all, and his actions among men, and what he does among men. When you look back at our text in Isaiah 53, and in verse 11, and keep in mind John chapter 1 in the first few verses of John chapter 1, where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. One of the greatest amazing things to me in the Scripture is when I look at Isaiah 53 and in verse 11, and I consider that the Ancient of Days, one who is God and was with God, became the servant of God. One who has been eternally equal with God the Father becomes the servant of God the Father. You remember that he said, My meat is to do the will of my Father. He said, not my will, but thine be done. And we read in Philippians a moment ago that it was God's righteous servant who became obedient even unto death. Now notice in our text in verse 11, God the Father tells us that his righteous servant, who it can be no one other than Jesus Christ, how that he shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. What a great prophecy this is from God the Father. When I think of the satisfaction of Jesus that is mentioned in verse 11, he shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. I cannot help but think this just very well 
In these words in verse 11, God is actually declaring the successful, efficient, sufficient work of Jesus Christ. His son shall see the travail of his soul. He shall see the results and the fruit of his suffering and death. And when he sees that, he'll be satisfied. When he sees what he has accomplished, what he has done. You'll notice verse 11. The emphasis here is not upon the physical sufferings of Jesus Christ, but rather that of his soul. Notice again, he shall see of the travail of his soul. I mentioned verse 10 this morning. I'll go back there again where it says, When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. You'll notice in verse 12, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And our text says, he shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. The word travail in verse 11 is important. It is a, a word that is associated with childbirth. When a woman brings a child into this world, you might hold your place here. I'm going to the book of John to chapter 16. John and in chapter 16. And here I'll read verse 21. John 16 and verse 21. A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow, because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. The mother travails and suffers in childbirth, but afterwards... She looks upon that newborn child with pleasure and satisfaction. That's what is being spoken of in our text. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. It does not discount the suffering, the travail, the sorrow that he endured, but it speaks of the satisfaction that will follow. But this word travail in our text also is translated in other ways. And I'm just going to, to mention these and you might want to note the scripture. It is translated labor in Psalm 90 and in verse 10. It's translated toil in Genesis 41, 51. Trouble in Job chapter 5, verse 6 and 7. Pain in Psalm 25, 18. And misery in Proverbs 31 and in verse 7. I think we could rightly combine all 
these meanings together in the soul suffering of Jesus Christ, but still not fully express what he endured and what actually happened as he suffered for our sins. In our text again, God the Father said, He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. He shall see the results of his extreme soul suffering and be satisfied with those results. When I think of the words in verse 11 of our text, just the first three words, he shall see. And I, I could not help but think, all oh, that he shall see as the results of his travail. We know he shall see and be satisfied, but we know also he shall see all for whom he suffered being glorified. He shall see the law magnified and made honorable. He shall see Satan defeated and his head bruised. He'll see the gospel, his gospel being preached in all the world. He shall see his enemies being made his footstool. He'll see the day when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's going to see a new heaven and a new earth. And we can all just add numerous things to this list where he is going to see as a result of the travail of his soul. He shall see of the travail of his soul and be satisfied because his soul's suffering accomplishes exactly what it intended to accomplish. It accomplished the intended purpose. Consider if only one person out of all the human race, if just one person for whom Jesus Christ died eventually found themselves in hell, how could Jesus be satisfied? If just one for whom he suffered that travail of soul goes to hell, could he possibly be satisfied? I don't think so. I don't think he could, could possibly be satisfied with that. Jesus Christ died for a particular people. You might have noticed in our reading, and I'll go back to verse 6. His people here are called sheep in verse 6. They're called my people in verse 8. They are called his seed in verse 10. And again, the word many, both in verse 11 and verse 12. The reason that Jesus Christ will be satisfied with the travail of his soul is that he shall see that everyone for whom he suffered and died there with him one day in glory. I can assure you, based upon God's word, Jesus is not now in heaven disappointed because he 
failed to save one of those for whom he died. He shall see of the travail of his soul. He's now at God's right hand, completely satisfied with the work of redemption that he accomplished at Calvary. I like the hymn, the words of one of our hymns, Jesus who died shall be satisfied. Ever who wrote that hymn must have known something about Isaiah 53 and in verse 11. You know, the Bible tells us that he could have called more than 12 legions of angels. He could have called more than 72,000 angels. He could have escaped the travail of his soul. He said he could. But how would he have ever been satisfied? How would he have ever been satisfied if he had called those angels? I've mentioned this before, and I'll mention it again. I'm thankful he did not pray that prayer. He said, do you not know I could right now pray to my father and he would send more than 12 legions of angels? But he didn't pray that prayer. I don't think he could have ever been satisfied if he had prayed that prayer. Our text Isaiah 53 and in verse 11. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Again, this is God the Father speaking. Because God the Father calls him my righteous servant. My righteous servant. Notice also that we read in this verse, By his knowledge shall my righteous servant Justify many. There are several ways to interpret the wording there, and I think at least two of them are correct. It is by our knowledge of him, but it is also his knowledge in doing the complete will of the Father. He's the only one who really knew the will of the Father. He's the one that knew. He knew before he came. He knew exactly what he had to do. We read in Romans, and I won't turn there, Romans 8 and in verse 33, it is God that justifies. But we're also told here in Isaiah 53 and in verse 11, by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. It is God, by that I mean God the Father, who declares those just or justified who have faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 1, we're justified by faith, but it is God that justifies. But here in our text, my righteous servant shall justify many. This is equally important. It is God's righteous servant in pouring out his soul unto death through this travail of his soul that it actually effects our salvation. 
Justification is a declarative act of God, but there has to be a reason. There has to be grounds for it. There has to be something that is the effect of it here. And the effect is given in our text, the reason, for he shall bear their iniquity. He shall bear their iniquity. Do you realize without this travail of his soul, without the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ, without him bearing our sins and the chastisement of our peace being placed upon him, without that, God would have no legal grounds to justify anyone. There'd be none. There'd be no reason to. There'd be no cause. Again, the wages of sin must be paid. God cannot justify any who still owe something on their account. But he shall bear their iniquity. And it's through the travail of his soul. Our text again. Shall my righteous servant justify many? Notice what is not said. It is not simply to place man, the sinner, in a justifiable state. It is not simply to make justification available if man does something or if man consents to. The justification of our text is a justification that actually justifies. Actually justifies. There's, there's no room for anything else in verse 11. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. An actual, real justification. Again, I mention this in verse 11. Following the word justify is that word many that we noted this morning. And again, it is many as opposed to all, or many as opposed to a few. It's many. There have been several over the years who did not believe the doctrines of grace, as I do, who have come to me and said, Brother Lee, if, if what you believe is true, then, then God has only saved just a handful of people. And that said to me, I always remind them of the greatness of God's hand. It's a big hand. Hold a lot of people. Look at Matthew chapter 20. We were here this morning, but I'll read it again. Matthew and in chapter 20 and in verse 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. These are not accidental words because all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. If you look to chapter 26 of Matthew, 
And note there in verse 28, Matthew 26 and in verse 28, in the administration of the Lord's Supper, Jesus said, For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. You remember that high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ. In John 17 and in verse 2, he said, As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. You might recall Acts 13 and verse 48, As many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Again, verbal inspiration is important. It does mean something. When you read in Isaiah chapter 53 and in verse 11, shall my righteous servant justify many. These are also the many brethren that are mentioned in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. Hebrews chapter 2 and in verse 10 speaks about the many sons that shall be brought to glory. You can also read Hebrews 9 and verse 28 about this many. Looking at our text, and I'll bring this to a close. In this great chapter that declares over and over again the work of Jesus Christ, God the Father speaks. And he speaks concerning his Son. He speaks words of prophecy that must come true. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. If there was no other verse or phrase in the Bible, if that was it, it's enough for me to believe in sovereign grace. It's enough for me to believe in the effectual work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's enough for me to, to believe that the purpose of him coming to suffer and to die was accomplished. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. The satisfaction of Jesus Christ.